0: Filthy Henry and the Impossible Victim, Chapter One Garda Bob Downey, a long-serving member of the Irish Police Force, drummed his fingers on the steering wheel of the squad car with all the patience of a two-year-old waiting in line at the cinema. He checked the time on the dashboard clock for what felt like the hundredth time. The little glowing digit showed that it was two minutes to six in the morning. Hardly the most enjoyable of hours to be awake. Least of all when you were waiting outside somebody else's abode. Not for the purpose of an early morning dawn raid, which would have been an enjoyable reason to get out of bed at such an ungodly hour. Instead, Downey was awake so early in order to give the occupant of the aforementioned abode a lift into work. Glancing out the driver's side window, he glared at the front door of the house mentally trying to force it open and extract the person from within. A person who should have gotten his arse out the door 30 minutes earlier. Downey's impatience was twofold on this early morning. First and foremost, on the list of irksome things was the fact he currently occupied a squad car. Downey had a dislike of using cars as a method of transport, much preferring his more natural way of getting about Dublin. Flying. Being a leerling, a race of fairy creatures with the ability to alternate between human and swan form, Downey rarely had to sit in mundane things such as traffic jams or pay attention to the colour of a light at a junction. If he wanted to get from point A to point B, he simply transformed into his bird form and took the shortest route as the swan flies, all the while laughing at the mortals below in their mobile metal coffins. How Downey had wound up in a car that morning! was the second thing on his list of grievances. A new recruit, fresh out of the training college in Templemore, was starting at the station Downey had been based in for years. A recruit whose father just happened to have more stripes on his shoulders than Downey. Said recruit needed a lift into work for the next few weeks. This loathsome task had fallen to Downey. Just because he'd been late to the morning briefing where the vote to see who got this crap job had taken place. Strangely enough. This resulted with those in attendance nominating he who had been absent. Since being a leerling was something of a secret, as was the existence of the entire fairy world to mortals, it meant the collection of the recruit required a car. Otherwise, it would have been difficult to explain why a magical swan was carrying a person to work. From this perspective, the fates had conspired to curse Downey. The end result being that he now sat outside a house in Lucan getting grouchier with every passing second. Being so confined was giving him an overpowering desire to spread his wings for a few minutes and smell the clouds. The front door of the house finally opened and a man in his mid-twenties stepped out, wiping sleep from his eyes and yawning. He carried a duffel bag in his left hand. Pulling the door shut behind him, the recruit made his way down the garden path towards the parked vehicle. As he passed in front of the car headlights, Downey could see that the recruit had the body of a man still in possession of a working metabolism, all skinny jeans and fitted tops that highlighted muscle definition beneath. He smiled at Downey, oblivious to the glare the leerling gave him, and opened the passenger door. Tossing his bag into the back seat, the recruit climbed inside and sat down. "'Warning,' he said while yawning. I'm Trent O'Shea. You're late, Danny said, starting the car engine. By half an hour. Trent pulled on his seatbelt and closed the door. So? Were you serious about picking me up at half five? Sure, who starts working at half five? Don't think that just because I'm the new lad, you old-timers can haze me. Although you don't look old enough to be classed as an actual old-timer, but you get the point. I know nobody starts work before eight. Law enforcement does, Downey said through gritted teeth. He had more to add, but a brilliant flash of blue light in the dark morning sky caught his attention. Trent would not have seen it. But Downey had the second sight that all fairy creatures were born with. The ability to see and perceive things from the fairy world. The world that lived and existed right beside the mortal one. Just hidden completely from sight. Whatever had caused the light was magical in nature and powerful too. Deep down Downey knew that it needed some investigating even if it was just to make sure that nobody had been hurt. More importantly it was to make sure that no fairy was running the risk of exposing the people to humanity. What's out that way? he asked Trent pointing to where the light had been. Trent shifted in his seat and looked out the window. Nothing just a load of fields. Why? Downey sighed and put the car into gear. Just a hunch I want to check out, he said, driving away from the house. Trent directed Downey to a field that sat on the edge of a housing estate in Lucan. There was a small gravel area, presumably meant to be a car park, where he parked the squad car and got out. Without any real resistance to the suggestion, Trent stayed in the car, crossed his arms and apparently attempted to go back to sleep. Downey rolled his eyes at the recruit in disgust and headed out into the field. He had brought the flashlight from the glove box with him and turned it on to illuminate things. Not that it was needed. Leerlings, like all fairy creatures, had excellent night vision. But it would raise less questions from Trent. Not that Trent seemed to be the most inquisitive of individuals. There was a desk job in that young man's future, of that Downey was sure, even if it was himself that had to recommend Trent for the particular desk in question. The field seemed to be empty, devoid of anything interesting, magical or otherwise. There were no 'er ne'er-do-wells loitering about the place up to no good. No stray dogs wandering around for that perfect spot to leave their morning droppings. All in all, it seemed that the flash may have just been that, a flash. But it had definitely been a flash in the magical spectrum of the world, and that was what had Downey concerned. Magic was not like the weather. You did not get a flash of light followed by a loud noise for no other reason than a shift in the weather patterns and a change in atmospheric pressure. You got a magical flash because something had just been done with powerful magic. Downey walked along a bit more, shining the light from the torch left and right when the beam shone on something of interest to any Garda, human or fairy worth the salt. A man lying face down in the middle of the field. Hello? Are you all right? Downey asked, running over. As he neared the face-down figure, Downey's torchlight illuminated a pool of fluid on the ground, gathering underneath the man. Downey knew a dead man when he saw one, and this guy was as dead as could be. He slowly looked around for any sign of a third party in the area, but nobody was to be seen. Turning his attention once more on the body, Downey shone the torch directly at it. While his night vision was good, picking up details was always easier with proper light. The victim, as Garda Downey now thought of him, was dressed in a white robe. A little strange given that robes had been out of fashion for a few centuries at this stage. Their face was firmly planted in the mud and dirt, almost like he had fallen forward with great force. Downey knew that it was against protocol to go moving the body before the crime scene unit had been out to have a look, so moving the victim's head was out of the question. Downey hunkered down to get a better look at the fluid presumably the victim's blood. But as the light from the torch was brought closer, Downey noticed that the fluid was discoloured. Being a guarder for a few years had allowed Downey to see a few dead bodies in his time. Generally, dead bodies had blood, and that blood was red in colour. So the fact that this body was covered in an orange fluid suggested there was something wrong. Either the body was not actually dead, or they had died from an overdose of orange juice which had caused their blood to change colour in the process, neither of which would look good in a report to the higher-ups. They tended to like their murders to be simple. It helped to make the statistics easier to graph at the end of the month. Downey searched in his pockets for something to collect some of the fluid in. Um, is that a dead body? Downey stood up and turned on the spot. Trent stood behind him, staring down at the corpse, not looking at Downey at all. This was going to be hard to explain. In general, the human population knew nothing about the fairy world. And that was very much how the people wanted things to stay. Luckily, it was still fairly dark, meaning Trent would not have noticed that the victim had orange blood and would not be asking any questions that shouldn't be asked. "'Yeah,' Danny said slowly. "'I guess your first day just got more interesting, kid.' Trent seemed to wobble slightly on the spot, as if he was losing control of his legs. Downey knew that the young recruit was about to faint, which was understandable. He himself had thrown up so much when he saw his first body, it had to have been a record of some sort. So, so, so he's, Trent started to say. There was a bright flash of light that for an instant caused everything to be coated in a blinding whiteness. As his cornea adjusted, Downey saw two figures standing beside Trent. The young recruit slowly looked at them, and then once more at the body, before his eyes rolled back in his head and he collapsed on the ground. Downey shone his torch on the new arrivals. Well, that might need some explaining, he said to the pair who had appeared out of thin air. Both of them were dressed in suits, suits that in no way matched. The gentleman on the left, nearest to the forlorn Trent, wore a stylish blue suit, white shirt and red tie. To say that he was portly would have been like saying a hippo was a size zero catwalk model. The man clearly enjoyed his food, not to mention the food of others who happened to be within fork-spearing distance. He was bald, but made up for the lack of head hair with a very full ginger beard, no doubt hiding a number of chins beneath it. All of that, however, was just for show. Downey knew this because with his magical second sight, he could see energy swirling around the individual, vast and powerful, unlike anything the Learling had ever encountered before. The other new arrival was also surrounded by a lot of magical energy, not as much as his associate, but similar levels. However, Downey got the feeling, as he read the energy, that it was a different sort of power, a darker sort. This man was slender, dressed head to toe in the blackest of blacks. A black so black, that it made actual black seem, well, rather light. He was clean-shaven with his dark hair slicked back on his head. Downey was not entirely sure if it was a trick of the torchlight or just that the dawn had not fully brightened the area yet. But it seemed as if the man in the black suit had no pupils. His eyes were just two dark ovals. Why would we explain ourselves to a lesser creature, the man in black said. Watch it, Brez, the portly gentleman replied. Don't forget whose realm you're in. Brez snorted and took a step towards the victim with orange blood, ignoring Downey completely. Here, this is a crime scene, Downey said, taken aback at the abrupt manner of the man in black. You be careful where you stand, and don't go, the portly gentleman came over and placed a hand gently on Downey's shoulder. It's all right, lad, he said. I know the victim. Family, so to speak. But more importantly, I know who we need to get so we can sort this mess out. Downey looked directly at the portly gentleman, raising an eyebrow. Don't tell me we need, Downey began to say. Brez turned around and smiled at the leerling. Oh yes, he said. We need the half-breed. We need Filthy Henry. Filthy Henry, Ireland's foremost and only fairy detective, was not having a good day. To the casual observer, observing casually, this would have been readily apparent mainly because Filthy Henry was currently sitting behind the desk in his office, with his head pressed down on the wooden surface and both his arms wrapped over it in a protective manner. A comparison to a human attempting to do an ostrich impression without all the messy sand would not have been inaccurate. The reasons the fairy detective was having a bad day were varied and manifold, rarely changing in quantity, but merely swapping priority. Yet today, the number one spot on his list of problems was in the building with him, cleaning it. "'Why are you doing that?' Filthy Henry said from within a safety cocoon. "'But you shut up already. It's happening,' came the reply. Filthy Henry sighed, unwrapped his arms from around his head and straightened up in the chair. He looked around at the organised chaos that was not only his place of work, but had also been his place of peace and zen. At the moment, there were pieces of zen everywhere.' Filing cabinets had been moved, their drawers pulled open so that the contents could be taken out and strewn around the floor. Boxes were stacked anywhere a box could be stacked, which mostly meant stacks of boxes on top of other stacks. There was what Filthy Henry could only assume was a sweeping brush propping open the door to the office, revealing that similar madness had started to occur out on the landing. It did not sit well with him. Couldn't you at least do this when I'm not working, he said in the direction of the open door. That way I wouldn't have to put up with this mess and cleaning progress. Or you, for that matter. A woman's head appeared from the other side of the door, her hair tied up at a long ponytail that dangled over her right shoulder. I heard that, you jackass, she said. You were meant to, Shelley, Filthy Henry replied. Would you just go out and get us some coffees or something? Better yet, try and find a case for us to work on. You know, drum up some custom. Maybe dazzle people with that award-winning charm you've got. Shelley shot him a dirty look, then disappeared from sight once more. "'You're not my bloody assistant,' he said. "'Yes, I am. Just get used to it.' In the past four months, Filthy Henry had found himself wondering how he'd gotten himself into this current working situation. Originally Shelley had just been a client of his, a human with a slight ability to see the fairy world, despite not having any magic in her blood. This in itself was not uncommon.' most humans at a very early age were easily able to see the fairy world. Some particularly creative sorts just kept it on in a limited capacity when they grew into adulthood. After helping Filthy Henry solve a case which had a tenuous connection to her own one, there had been a little unpleasantness, and Shelley had been killed. Which Filthy Henry thought was a little unfair and probably would have reflected badly on himself in the long run. Clients being killed while helping solve cases was definitely not the best way to bring in repeat business. So, the fairy detective had used the wish granted by Leprechaun, the King of the Leprechauns, to return her to life. Leprechaun brought Shelley back from the great beyond, with a minor addition. She could now see the fairy world completely on her own without any magical help from Filthy Henry. Her blood now had a little fairy magic in it. Not enough to cast spells, but enough to make her a little more than human. Both of these were facts that Shelley knew nothing about. As far as Shelley was concerned, she had simply been knocked out and her second sight was still something the fairy detective provided via the spell he had cast on her when they first met. The wish, payment for solving the case for Leprechaun, had meant to be used so that Filthy Henry could become a full-blood fairy. Instead, Shelley thought that the King of the Leprechauns had simply double-crossed Filthy Henry. This little lie had allowed Shelley to teach the fairy detective a thing or two about cursing as a result. But since that last case, Shelley had decided that her new focus in life would be to constantly annoy Filthy Henry under the guise that she was his partner in solving fairy crime. Which had never been something Filthy Henry had ever needed, and he was pretty damn sure he still had no use for. Since Shelley was an artist, which went some way to explain how she had the slight fairy viewing ability to begin with, She had no real work commitments. Nothing to pull her away on a regular basis and prevent her from claiming to be the fairy detective's assistant. I really do need coffee, Filthy Henry said to himself. He pushed back his chair, picked up his brown trench coat from a pile of old case folders and made his way towards the door of the office. The desk phone started ringing. Alas, it was not located conveniently on the desk as desk phones usually were found which made answering it Well, a problem. Another victim of chaotic cleaning. We have a phone? Shelley asked, coming down the hall and walking into the office with another box to be stacked. Well, I have a phone and an unwanted lodger, Filthy Henry said. Where did you put it? He dropped his coat on the ground and started to search among the mounds of papers and boxes, choosing the old push-everything-over-without-a-care-until-you-find-what-you-want. The approach used by males everywhere. A search technique that served to both find the item sought in the shortest time possible, while also not so subtly pointing out that the cleaning could be undone in a matter of seconds. I didn't move anything, Shelley said. Why would you just assume that I moved it? Because you're cleaning an office that hasn't been cleaned in thirty years, that's why. Ah, finally, here it is. The phone was a typical rotary phone. Black in colour and retro in shape. Its ring sounded like a dozen little cat bells, all going half a second after each other. It showed no sign that the person doing the ringing was going to hang up any time soon. There was nothing too fantastic to note about the phone in any way at all, aside from the fact that it most likely belonged in a museum. How is it ringing? Shelley asked, looking at it with great interest. Is it one of those novelty mobile phones or something? You know, the ones that are just made to look really old. No, it's an old phone, Phil the enemy said. Nothing modern about it. In fact, it would probably be counted as an antique at this stage. So how it's ringing is a good question, because it isn't bloody connected to a wall socket at all, which I guess would explain why I don't get many phone calls. Now I come to think of it, I'm not entirely sure I've ever paid a phone bill since I got it. Good thing most of my custom comes via word of mouth and not misprinted business cards. You think? Shelley said. Just answer it already, will you? It might be a case. I really don't want to answer a phone that has no right to be ringing. But why not? Because it might be a case. Shelley rolled her eyes and reached over, picking up the receiver before Filthy Henry had a chance to stop her. Celtic Investigations! Shelley speaking. How can we help you today? Celtic Investigations? Filthy Henry mouthed at her before being pushed away from the desk. Shelley nodded along to what was being said on the phone for a few seconds. OK, that's no bother at all. Sure thing. I'll tell him. As soon as we can. Absolutely. You know where the office is. Perfect. We'll see you shortly then. OK, you'll see us shortly. Thank you. She hung up the phone and smiled at the fairy detective. It was somebody with a case. Ah, oh, brilliant, Filthy Henry said sarcastically. Some banshee her voice or something. Who was it? And how are they calling on a disconnected phone? Filthy Henry felt something magical tug at his body. A spell. Not a malicious one. Generally spells that meant you harm tended to explode in loud noises and bloody body parts without giving you a gentle tap on the shoulder as a warning. No, this was a spell that was being cast on himself and Shelley with great care, so that it would not come as a surprise when it took effect. He walked over and picked up his discarded coat. "'Where are you off to?' Shelley said. "'The client said he would be collecting us here.' "'I'd grab your coat if I was you,' Filthy Henry said as he pulled on his trench coat. The full power of the spell kicked in at that very moment, and Filthy Henry realised that his day had been pretty good up until then. It was only when Shelley had answered the phone that everything had started to go bad. filthy henry the impossible victim is book two of the filthy henry series by derek power this completely free audiobook version was narrated by niall milton other filthy henry books are available to buy on amazon kindle